Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. Today is a returning organization uh, to our microphones, CECP, which in the earliest days was the Committee to Encourage Corporate Philanthropy. But as the organization has grown in its importance and its membership over the decades, it is now Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose. CECP has grown to a movement of more than 200 of the world's largest companies that represent $11.2 trillion in revenues, $23 billion in societal investment, $14 million employees, and $21 trillion in assets under management. Now, when I have a new client and they ask me about How do I really influence my CEO to understand the full potential of the power of purpose? I have a pretty easy answer, at least partially to that. And that's have your organization join CECP. Today is a very special podcast because it's a little bit of an experiment for me because not only will I have an expert, Carmen Perez, who has run this wonderful research for CCP, but also we're going to have two of their co-chairs um, from companies that helped to work with Carmen on this valuable research, Lalita Bandenahol, and she is a vice president of Credit Suisse, and Matthew Nelson, corporate vice president of corporate responsibility at the New York Life Foundation. So let's get into it. It's going to be a lively conversation and a tremendous amount for all of us to learn. So Carmen, talk to us a little bit about CCP today. There may be some of our listeners that aren't quite up to speed about the organization. Thanks, Carol. I'd love to share a little bit more about Chief Executives for Corporate Purpose. Um, We are a organization that seeks to empower leaders of corporate social responsibility and ESG programs with the latest insights to make sure that they can um, accelerate the strategies they're driving inside of their companies. So that, that means so many different things depending on what company they're sitting in, but it's a combination of data, benchmarking, events, making sure we're amplifying the CEO voice, um, and of course, uh, research. There's a one key word that really jumps out at me regarding this value volunteering, and it's being intentional. And you use that word a lot. 
So let's talk about the report. And the first first thing I'd like to know is like, well, where'd the idea come from? Why did you feel that you needed to? So there's a lot of volunteerism across CCP with your colleagues and such. Great programs, certainly from Credit Suisse and New York Life. But why now? Why did you decide to do this research? I think the Service for Impact Collaborative is something that goes back many, many years. And there was such a richness to the gathering of leaders of volunteering programs inside companies. Also, uh, the nonprofit perspective. It's a collaboration with Philanthropy New York. And the at the 10th anniversary, there was an opportunity spotted by our visionary co-chairs who can speak to this as well, that capturing some of that richness in a different way through, we'll use that word already, um, some intentional research to look at volunteering, to kind of reimagine volunteering anew um, and make sure that what the Service for Impact Partnership did for those that were able to attend the events could be experienced by so many more people in so many more companies and nonprofits. That's that's great. So let's just, I want to introduce our co-chairs um, because they were so important. I know they roll up their sleeves. Um, I've, I've known them for many years. So first, let's start with um, Lalita and explain a little. She, you've got this incredibly rich background. We were chatting before everybody else got on. I mean, she has, she's so multidimensional. So I want to embarrass you because it's, you've got such a great background. So talk a little, little bit about it because volunteering is not just, oh yeah, we're going to have a day of volunteerism. It's a lot more than that. Thank you, Carol. Lovely to be on your podcast and be in the company with Matthew and Carmen. Uh, this is, uh, you know, a little bit about my background. So my name is Lalita Padinihal. I oversee charitable grant making at Credit Suisse in the Americas region and you can call my path very diverse. I started out as a banker on Wall Street and very soon, I would say six years into my career, realized that that word purpose that you're so familiar with and talk about all the time, Carol, that I, I had lots of esteem for my financial colleagues, but my purpose was to drive something else forward. And so I go from Wall Street to nonprofit and social venture philanthropy which was another whole world, and then found myself back on Wall Street with Credit Suisse, um, you know, in a variety of roles over the last 13 plus years, which I've been very, very grateful to have. So volunteering, and Matthew and I share this. I mean, we have been in this space for a long time, and we were still finding that it was viewed as, as, as nice to have. Whereas we firmly believe that this is core, that this is need to have both for society and for the business. And so, you know, we know people love research and numbers to back up whatever really we know to be true. And so we said, why don't we partner with CECP, who really has the best in class talent, lo and behold, Carmen, to really dig into, and for, to be honest, uh, Carol, a lot of what we were asking, Matthew and I, were questions we didn't know the answer to. And so we really had a lot of curiosity and openness. Just, just because we as practitioners think something and have an intuition, is it really borne out by the research? And I love that you talk about curiosity. So that that's what, you know, I, I've done over 30 different pieces of research over my career, and I love the data. It's so much fun. Okay, so Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been at storied organizations, 
now you're at New, New York Life. Um, so please share with our listeners. You've got a great background, too. Thanks, Carol. It's so great to be on the program. And I have been a long admirer of your work and the 30 reports that you put out. Um, it's great to have that grounding and founding for us to, to build up from as practitioners. So my, uh, I, my career has been mostly been in philanthropy, um, worked for United Way, uh, ran a community foundation, uh, and then shifted over to corporate philanthropy, working for American Express, uh, Ameriprise Financial, uh, and New York Life now. And in there somewhere, I also worked for the Council on Foundations. So I had the opportunity to see how foundations across the country and around the world really did effective philanthropy and learned um, how community foundations do a great job of engaging the community. Corporate foundations can get the money out fast. Um, and that combination, I think, really helped uh, me in my career to understand uh, the different ways that philanthropy and volunteering can impact um, individuals as well as uh, communities and those nonprofits um, and who they serve. I wanted to have the background shared with our listeners because this is a powerhouse team that worked on this research and curious team and, you know, years of experience. You know, I always say touching the elephant in different places, but you wanted to come out with new information. And I love when you talk about strategy. And this is no longer a nice to do, it's a have to do. So Carmen, back to you. What is the aha, high level um, results from the research? And then we're going to dive deeper. The value volunteering report, I think actually because of its depth had several aha moments um, across the, across the different sections. But the one that I think I might draw out that I would consider the most unexpected was how deep we went on the nonprofit perspective. Because as Lalita described, we went in with a few hypotheses about how to shift the way corporate leaders think of volunteering inside the company. So that was a lot about like, let's not just generalize business results, but get really specific. And could we even make a connection to the bottom line? So we were moving in that direction and then realized to really do that successfully um, and think about the long-term influence of research like this on the field, we had to more deeply ground that in the other side of the equation, which is truly the foundation, the vision, the reason for volunteering, which is like, how are we supporting a community need that the community has lifted up and said, this is what we need to solve. And our nonprofit partner has certain resources to do that. But volunteers are an important piece to really bring that solution to life. So um, the nonprofit perspective is represented through um, a survey. It's represented through some vignettes of specific uh, nonprofit organizations and their volunteering opportunities all across the country and all across different issue areas. And that we think is such an important foundation that we really wanted to emphasize, even as we went much deeper on the business results and why it's a must have for companies. So Lolita, can you explain today, you know, you've been doing this for years, what does a successful workplace volunteering program look like? You know, what does it involve? And how does, and talk about the design. This isn't just, oh, everybody show up tomorrow and paint a fence. It's a lot more than that. So Carol, again, this report has really confirmed that really where do you start is with the need of the community. It's rooted in 
what's the authentic need? And again, that word intentionality, how do you then intentionally design a program that meets that community need? And so really, when you ask what, what does a successful workplace volunteering program look like, it really starts with candid conversations between nonprofits and corporate practitioners to say, what are the needs now? COVID has turned the world upside down. Let's not assume that the way we did things before is the way we should continue. And this is a great space to sort of recalibrate and say, nonprofits, we know you are struggling. Let's just get down to what are your most uh, authentic needs and how, how do we play in that? And I think, you know, the role of the corporate is really to listen, and I'll use the word mindfully, which is to really understand what the nonprofit is saying, even without just the words. It's what's the intent? What are they really saying? Um, and to understand what their motivation is. The report also uncovered nicely that nonprofits partner for two main reasons, drive their mission forward and for relationship reasons. So understand why is this particular nonprofit wanting to partner with this corporate? And then what is the need that we're potentially solving? And you know what, Carol, that might result in fewer, I know we all like more, but it might result in fewer but deeper partnerships that really drive social and business impact. Um, and so when you think about sort of designing uh, I think back to our nonprofit board service program, which I've been so grateful to be part of that journey. And again, we took the cue in 2009 from the nonprofit community that said that executive directors were saying that only 27% of board members were really well positioned in their organizations. And so on one hand, we had that. And on one hand, we had our employees who were senior level and saying, we want to make a more specific contribution to the community using our skills. And guess what? They had purpose and passion along with that. And so we married the two. And I'm not saying it's easy to spot those, but that's what we're looking for, being more intentional and really finding that win-win. So Matthew, um, can you build on that in terms of your experience? And especially, I'd love you to talk about not just what makes a a really powerful workplace volunteering program, but also what did you do during COVID? This COVID change turned all of our worlds upside down. So Carol, first, first I would say that um, I would build on the statement that Lolita started with about authentic, find out what, what a nonprofit authentically needs. But the value of that is that not only do the nonprofits receive something that they authentically need, employees experience something of deep, powerful value. And in this, in the research, in the value of volunteering, that I think the most startling result is, is that public opinion says that when a company does authentic volunteering in the community, their sense of that company and their loyalty and their trust in that company doubles. And that's a powerful statement. And, and when, you, you know, when you think about, so what's, what's in it for a company? That is what's in it for a company, to have an authentic partnership with a nonprofit, provide authentic and powerful experiences for those volunteers, um, their employees, and they have a huge impact out in the community because of that. Can you explain through the research 
the how you measured the doubling of the trust. So that was one of the value volunteering components, as you sort of described at the outset, Carol, there was a lot of different elements to the research plan. But after doing focus groups and some uh, nonprofit surveying and building that nonprofit voice, one of the final components was actually to do a public opinion survey. So we'd already surfaced what we believed were the built in and built for business results from workplace volunteering. And now we wanted to try to test that relationship between people and companies. Um, Do people recognize that uh, or if they do recognize changes in impact like this volunteering really made a difference? Does that also have an effect on how they view the company? So um, the public opinion survey was done by a company called Talmetrics, which was a great partner. There was lots of partners in value volunteering. They're another one. Um, And they assessed reputation. They assessed trust and they assessed customer loyalty on a few different factors. So the underlying analysis is is a correlation analysis to look at sort of like what is the effect in the strength of that relationship. And it was specifically for trust and loyalty, as Matthew described, that when they felt the volunteering made a difference, it, the, the, the strength of the relationship would double. I'm fascinated by that because we have a lot of clients who are saying, you know, they work with Rep Institute, which is fabulous. And, you know, it has the various quadrants. They say, but we need to move the trust. So can you dive a little bit deeper into some of the methodology, maybe some of the questions? I am mesmerized by that. Yeah, certainly. So like the the chapter in value volunteering on these relationships shows that for each one of those three that we spoke about, there were three underlying questions to that we didn't explicitly ask a consumer, you know, like, how does this affect your view on the reputation of the company, but instead, obviously, proxies for that, which are founded in, in research and different um, other outside of volunteering when they're measuring relationships between companies uh, and consumers for reputation and trust and different things. Um, So we were layering in, using all of that knowledge, now layering in volunteering to say, how is this a driver or not? How is this uh, a way to strengthen the relationship or not? and I think that we were surprised in particular how the, the trust in a company was significantly affected. So it was a strong relationship. But then when someone believes that the volunteering made a difference, so that goes back to Matthew's comments about authenticity. This isn't something you can phone in. Like we have to do all of the components that we discussed about being um, in meaningful conversation with community partners and making sure that we're really filling a need with the volunteering. So that surfaces up to the employee feeling they made a difference, the nonprofit feeling they got a value from it. And then that's where we saw that big bump in trust. So we do, we, we're glad that you're excited about it because we do think that that's going to catch some eyes. Those intangibles like trust, it's really tough to move the needle and volunteering has an important role to play. Very hard. Let's take a break and find out what else is happening besides this podcast that you may want to know about. In the past week, both Nike and Chipotle announced new sets of environmental and social goals and systems 
with which their executive's compensation will be tied to achieving them. Now that's putting your money where your mouth is. Let's talk about Nike because they are always at the cutting edge. Recently, Nike released its Fiscal Year 20 Impact Report, which detailed the sportswear giant's progress on an achievement of a set of 2020 sustainability targets. With it, the company unveiled a set of new 29 Purpose 2025 targets that, according to their CEO, John Donahue, aren't just aspirations, he said. They outline clear goals, action plans, and accountability. As Donahue details in an accompanying letter, quote, we're redefining what responsible leadership looks like. For the first time, we will tie executive compensation to Nike's progress in deepening diversity and inclusion, protecting the planet, and achieving ethical manufacturing. That's a pretty hefty list. Nike has long led the sportswear industry in environmental sustainability, particularly when it comes to material innovations and circular design. But the company has long been criticized for promoting the power of sport and athletes, many of them black, and issuing strong statements of support for Black Lives Matter, Colin Kaepernick, and racial equality at large without reflecting that ethos within its own organization. Indeed, as of 2019, less than 10% of its 300-plus VPs worldwide were Black. Well, that's going to change. Now, along with a healthy set of goals around improved environmental performance, there's a new purpose set of goals, 2025, that are tied to diversity and inclusion, specifically around representation and hiring, inclusive culture and engagement, and business diversity and inclusion. And again, the underlining, here's the proof, Nike's executive bonuses will now reflect progress on those fronts. Our brand would not be what it is today without the powerful contributions of Black athletes and Black culture. And our belief in human potential inspires us to lead in addressing equality's most persistent barriers, they say. For Nike, this includes supporting organizations focusing on advancing racial equality in the U.S. And they are now making a combined $140 million from Nike, Converse, their Jordan brand, and their Michael Jordan brands. We are also focused on building a diverse, inclusive team and culture, one in which all voices are welcomed and heard, said their CEO, Donahoe. He also added, this culture of belonging reflects the diversity of the athletes we honor, the people who love our products, and the communities we serve. Nike is indeed making progress, but let's watch them closely to see how they're making that progress, both externally and internally, in 2022, three, four, and five. Nike, you're on notice. We trust you will deliver on the goods. Now back to our conversation with CECP. 
I'd love to ask uh, Lolita and, and Matthew, how did a consumer per se learn about the volunteerism that your organizations did? What, what sort of communications, you know, how did it kind of, um, was there a pebble in the pond and then, and then it rippled out? You know, how did you handle the communication side? At New York Life, I, in general, I think we're rather quiet about our volunteering, about our philanthropy in general. Um, but I think that what is consistent is our focus. Um, Carol, I mentioned that I work for the Council on Foundations. I saw really great corporate philanthropy and really poorly done corporate philanthropy. New York Life was one of the ones at the top for me. And so I was very excited to be able to start working with them uh, because of the alignment between the business and the philanthropy. We're a life insurance company. We create uh, financial security. And the foundation works with childhood bereavement. It's a perfect match for the foundation and uh, the company. It, it has a sense of integrity. It makes sense together. And so I think what we have done is we have chosen to go deep in that. You know, when Lalita talks about authentic relationships, that takes time. That takes a depth of relationship and trust between the nonprofit and the corporation. And we have built that over the years, over the decades, in order to assure that we really are making a difference for those nonprofits. We're listening to those nonprofits, finding out what they need in order to move that piece forward, move their work forward, move that cause forward, create greater um, awareness of childhood bereavement, understand the research behind that. All those things, I think, help add into that sense of authentic partnership and create that sense of reputation that a company says, oh, they don't just like dabble in these things. They're actually making a difference. And that comes through um, in the research that we have done, in the uh, reports we've, we've helped support, um, and how our employees experience it. Today, more and more, our employees are posting things on social media. They become our our amplifier of the work we do, the volunteering we do. And it's exciting to see the, the sense of pride in the company and the sense of impact it's making on the nonprofits and those clients um, and user clients out there that nonprofits support. And I'm curious because you sell through agents. And so, um, you know, I, I know you want to be authentic in your communications to your agents, especially about your childhood bereavement program. Can you just give a little bit of a guide to our listeners in terms of what are the key learnings about what you communicate to the agent? Not too much. You don't want to overwhelm them, but just curious. Well, I think what's interesting is that sales force, those people who are out there, find that their work has more purpose. Because suddenly they have volunteered with a childhood bereavement organization. Maybe it's a weekend camp. And suddenly they see the impact that supporting those kids and knowing that they're financially secure says to them, oh my gosh, the, the reason I do this work is to make sure these kids are okay. It's a powerful purpose. It's true for our employees as well. Some of, we, we have all kinds of actuarials, you know, accountants, number crunchers. They're looking at a computer all day long. When they volunteer at one of these camps, they say, ah, this is why I crunch these numbers. This is my purpose. This makes a difference. So I think it's a, it's a big, bigger picture than just the communications out there. It's also that authentic work within the company and partnerships with our nonprofits. Lolita, do you want to build on that? Because I know that you have a lot to share about the authenticity and then how it, it ripples for the organization. Yeah, no, I loved hearing Matthew's example, uh, you know, picturing those agents and, and that sense of purpose that they get when they're connecting their core day-to-day -day job with 
the, the community impact that they're making. What an amazing example. I think like Matthew said, for us, um, the focus of our corporate philanthropy programming has been very internal. It's been the employee. And, you know, you know, we've been very fortunate to again partner with CECP and for a couple of years now, been running these global surveys for our employees. And so when we've talked about trust, it's about employee trust. And we've seen really amazing uh, cores in how our corporate citizenship work is positively contributing to employee trust and rising, I would say, during the COVID time. I was very curious to see what the impact would be pre-COVID and now. And then, like Matthew said, these employees are really our ambassadors for our work. So again, when they're talking to their family, their friends, who could be potential clients, or their current clients, that genuineness with which they communicate their satisfaction with the corporate citizenship programs we have, the meaning they get from them, that's better than any sort of press release or corporate communications we could write. So we really, like Matthew said, don't do much in terms of externally trying to raise our profile with our clients or customers. We'd much rather, if there's something noteworthy, either the nonprofit or our employees tell the story. So they're just doing it real, with real integrity and it's genuine. And believe me, they have a lot of people in their social circles. So, this is, so that's, that's a true ambassador. Um, one of the things in, that I was fascinated about in the research was this idea of built in and built for. So I'm going to throw it to our esteemed team here who would like to explain what built in means and then built for means. I can start and I'm sure everyone can jump in. But I loved this categorization between built in and built for. And I think it takes all the business impact benefits that we've been talking about for well over a decade and produces some nuances. And the nuance here is a built in business impact result will emerge if you have a high quality volunteering program. And by the way, there are a few bullets under that high quality volunteering program, which I'll get into. But the built for are really, really subject to program design and intentionality. And so they could be produced, but one has to really more carefully understand when and how. And so again, it builds more credibility to our work as corporate practitioners when you can say that there's a distinction between these business impact results. And you know, for the high quality volunteering, um, for the built-in results like reputation, we were just talking about trust, employee engagement and team building. Four of those are sort of built in if you have high quality volunteer programs, which is number one, this is an extension of your company's values and ethics. It's not something you're doing to cover up some other negative action. Number two, your senior management and middle management is truly and genuinely interested in promoting volunteerism and is, is excited about the employees participating. And number three, Again, rooted in community needs and authentic. So if those three are met, then one can say that most likely there will be a positive impact on reputation, trust, employee engagement, and team building. And you look at the other side of built for, and again, Matthew and I were curious, where will, for example, employee retention lie? Where will recruitment lie? But these are more built for because you do need to be more uh, specific about your target population. 
for example, for employee retention. What motivates employees to volunteer does vary. Some want to use their skills. Some want to build their skills. Some don't want to use their skills at all. They want to switch off. And some want to just follow their purpose and passion. So if you're going to look at retaining an employee and tie corporate uh, volunteering to it, understanding their motivation is very important. Um, and other built-for results are leadership skills, customer insights, and client relationships. And I'm just wondering if in today's world where humanity is needed so much, is volunteering perhaps equally as important as a training program that was developed by some training organization? Because it's just got more of that inherent uh, passion and ethos. I'm just curious what you think about that. So, Carol, earlier you had asked about how we pivoted because of COVID. Um, and we we moved on to another conversation there. But this is the piece I think is most interesting about how COVID has impacted our volunteering. We did pivot and created a program called Acts of Kindness Civic Engagement, encouraging our employees to do acts of kindness, not necessarily formal volunteering with a nonprofit, because it became so challenging. Uh, so much of our volunteering was face-to-face. Um, and it just wasn't possible in a virtual world to at least initially replicate that. Um, we've gotten more sophisticated at being able to do that and helping support our nonprofit partners. But those acts of kindness um, were an amazing mental health boost to our employees. That getting out of their own shell, doing something as simple as writing a note to an isolated senior, picking up groceries for a neighbor, picking up medications for someone, simple acts cleaning up the park on your own, you know, alone, um, little things that make a difference. Um, our employees reported back um, how much better they felt about themselves and about their company. We actually uh, partner with True Impact to do uh, surveying of our employees and our scores skyrocketed uh, the last quarter of the year. Um, it was it was surprising at how those simple little acts made a difference in people's personal lives as well as the sense of, of, of providing something back to the to the community, and as well their their mental health, which is which is huge during COVID. Probably not as as impactful as some of our other volunteering we're talking about, but I think equally important, um, especially for our our mental health in the current environment we're living in. We're not going back. I just want to let our listeners know we are not going back to normal. It is the next normal. It is the new normal. It is different ways of relating. A lot of people are going to work from home because they don't want to do that crazy commute. So Matthew and Lalita, are there any key learnings right now? I know it's early that you might be saying, we're going to keep adopt those into how we, when we go back to face-to-face volunteering. One of the things that we found was that, um, you know, we're a national uh, company And oftentimes our volunteering is focused in the corporate office. Now we have ability to pull in folks from every part of the country. We have uh, nearly 200 offices around the country where our agents work out of, where we've got support staff that work, help support those agents on the ground. So suddenly we have people from across the country partnering together on a volunteer project. And there is no worry. There's, it's a great equalizer, quite honestly that everyone has the same access, everyone's having the same experience. The second thing that we're doing is we are still doing that 
checking back in after a volunteer activity and saying, what did that mean? What did that look like? And so we still pull together everyone after, after a volunteer activity of whatever it is, whether you do it on your own or with a small group, to, to um, talk about that. And again, that same mental health value happens and the appreciation of having that opportunity to do that with company support to be able to give back into their local communities and make an impact. That's great. Lolita? Yeah, no, I think it's a great time to pause and to really rethink, um, you know, what's working for the nonprofit and and what does the employee uh, want in this uh, in this connection uh, with the nonprofit. And we know the future of work is evolving. At some companies, you know, there will be uh, some layers of staff that maybe come back to the office only partially. At other companies, you know, perhaps not at all. And so really understanding your own company's unique position um, and, and really listening to what employees value again. And, and for some, you know, connecting with other colleagues and doing the same activity that they could go do in a lo- their local community, but doing it under a company sourced banner still means a lot to them. And so uh, providing those activities that can be virtual, uh, even if a lot of the staff is going back so that everyone feels included and part of that same corporate culture. So I think this is a great time to pause and to really listen to employees, listen to community needs and to design accordingly. And I can't say that we figured it all out yet. We're very much in the learning stage and learning um, is, is part of growth. You've said multiple, multiple times, listening. And I think that that is such an important skill just for, you know, certainly the social impact work, but just in, in general. Carmen, what haven't we addressed as key into value volunteering? Hearing uh, Lalita and Matthew describe what they think might change did give me sort of a spark to something I wanted to make sure to mention, which I think was a another important framing from value volunteering, which is while we're talking about these business results and making sure that corporate leaders use them uh, inside their companies, we also wanted to ensure that anyone leading a nonprofit, or even if they're in the nonprofit specifically just focused on the volunteering they look at these business results as um, new empowerment for them in their partnership conversations. So talking about things changing for our next normal, I think we're looking at power balances across sectors in so many different ways. And the corporate nonprofit partnership, I think, is one that has evolved a lot already. And thinking about this type of research, not just to equip corporate leaders, but to equip nonprofit leaders to recognize their side of a partnership in a whole new light, I think is something that's really um, a sign of that shifting tides in in our next normal that I think everyone was excited about across all partners, all companies, you know, so it's not like we've discovered this, these new insights and they're for us to keep, but we've discovered these new insights and now let's ensure everyone is, is using them for how they're um, thinking about their own future planning. And then I think the other piece from value volunteering, we didn't cover much, but that's because it is um, for practical purposes is the nuts and bolts. So we've got a lot in there on program design, on measurement, and just trying to get people to take the concepts, hopefully find a call to action, something that they want to do differently um, and continue to evolve. And then also just make sure they feel equipped. 
And so I want to talk a little bit about measurement because we always get measured. And you have in there three different levels. You have the idea level, the sketch level, and the blueprint level. So why is it important to have three different levels? And how can a practitioner whose review is going to come up and their boss is going to say, okay, okay, you know, what did we accomplish? You know, how can those three different constructs um, advance the work as well as the individuals to have a great review? I can sort of speak what we see sort of across companies. And then I don't know if Lalita or Matthew have like a uh, experience building this at your in New York Life or Credit Suisse. But I think we wanted to articulate those levels because we often observe a mismatch really rigorous measurement, but the strategy, the infrastructure behind the program might not be there. So first thing you got to do is match what's happening in terms of strategy, in terms of resource allocation, in terms of um, infrastructure refers to software, um, what do you have in place to facilitate partnerships, and then make sure that the measurement um, meets that. So, um, there's a, there's a few ways that corporate leaders can use that, which is to say, if you're receiving requests to say, you know, this report is telling us that um, volunteering can drive trust and we want you to measure that, the, the answer is, well, we need to resource this function within the company such that we can collect the data, have uh, people to build the expertise, use the analytics through time. So, so it's a two-way conversation to if you seek rigorous measurement, make sure that all the pieces that are required to make that happen are in place. Lalita or, or Matthew? You know, I'll just say that one of the things that I am hopeful for of in the next iteration of corporate volunteering, and this is more of my personal opinion, that we move beyond measuring hours and number of volunteers and really decide when it is where in, when we're measuring social impact and business impact. And that might not be measurement for all programs. Like Carmen said, one size doesn't fit all. But again, you look at every corporate social responsibility report, they all look the same. Uh, but here, I think there's an opportunity to really drive the conversation forward on what is impact and what, what goes into measuring that impact. So perhaps I'm being too bold, but that's just my view. No, no, no. Um, Matthew, do you want to jump in on this? I, I 100% agree with Lalita. I, I think the power of our uh, corporate volunteering is, is that all the resources we are able to bring and could bring and don't always bring to the table. And it is not just about the number of hours. It is much more about the impact and the, and the authentic partnerships you create with nonprofits uh, that Lolita has talked about and this this report really focuses in on is how, how do you create those depth of relationships and then be able to tell those stories. Um, you know, I, I talked about our agents and employees volunteering with some of the bereavement camps. Those are the stories that have huge, huge impact on their careers, their work, their sense of purpose, and having an impact in the community. They 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 qualitatively feel differently about who they are who their workplace is and how they relate to the community uh, because of those volunteer opportunities that are, that are really well thought out deep, um, have some a true impact rather than simply painting a wall over and over again. Oh, I know. And, and I just like to thank you. We, we do uh, represent experience camps 
which are, you know, these unbelievably special experiences for kids who have lost a parent or someone that's very close to them, and you're a partner. And so we want to thank you because to help change the trajectory of a child's life, having the worst experience they could ever have is very, very special. So I just wanted to, to thank you so much. We, this is the best conversation, guys. Um, I haven't had this many guests on a show before, so I think this was an experiment, but I love it. And, but we're, we're kind of down to the, to the bottom of this. And so I, I love to give everybody a kind of a last comment. And, um, so, you know, I, I would love Matthew and Alita, is there, if you could give like, you know, two, maybe three really key points to your colleagues that, you know, about, you know, volunteering and value, not just the research, but like, you know, how this is truly strategic and authentic. So it's, it's, it's what I just said. I, I think that partnering with your nonprofit is so important. Partner with those nonprofits closely. Build some really deep, connected relationships with them. Um, and part of that is coming out of a good sense of strategy. So what aligns with your business? What's the, what is the strategic imperative that you can help impact in the community that aligns with your business? You know, when the 2008 downturn happened, I actually watched many companies pull back and become more strategic. I actually think that they, they did more impactful work after 2008 because they focused. They thought, how can we, how can we use the, the, the limited resources we have for greater impact? That same thing is, continues to be true. How do you take those resources and really focus them and make an impact? And partner with your nonprofits. Know what they need and then partner with them. You know, with skill-based volunteering, with the resources that companies have, there are all kinds of opportunities to make a huge impact in the community. And I think employees really do value when they see that something has qualitatively changed. I have conversations with our employees about skill-based volunteering that they've done. They categorically say that was the most powerful experience they've had in their, in their professional career, often even. Yeah, when we, we represented PNC Bank for 15 years, and, and one, at one point, they had Head Start was a long-term partner, and they had their people in HR help the Head Start people write job descriptions. And it seems so, it's like a blinding glimpse of the obvious that I call it. it was so profound to have professionally written job descriptions. And they were both so, both sides were so proud when they talk, talked about it. Lalita, your, your last comments. So I think one of the highlights of this report is really the connection between social impact and business impact. And the way I look at it is a virtuous cycle. So if we do successfully design programs that are impactful for the community, which is really our driver. Guess what? That leads to business impact in a more quantitative form. And guess what happens then? Your business impact makes more sustainable funding available to your function, which then in turn drives more social impact. So I love that virtuous cycle and I love that it starts with the community need that it shows that this is necessary and that it drives business impact. So those who care about business impact, that's not lost on them. So it moves from nice to have to need to have. And then we all win because it means more social impact. So I'm just still digesting that and what that means. But I, this is what to me the, the biggest insight of this report is. And, and so it may mean doing things differently, 
But I think those who are willing to challenge the status quo and to really listen and to build authentic programs with intentional design is starting a movement. And COVID has, you know, we all had to get smarter and faster and, in, you know, ingenious. And I think that you're exactly talking about that. So, Carmen, the last word goes to you. You're, you're the mother of value volunteering. You've done such amazing work at CCP. So the last word to you. When I look at the report and how much depth there is, we're covering so much ground. I hope that when people read it, whether they're running a nonprofit or running a company, they let their own measure of success when it comes to this report be changing something. So do something different. It could be a whole range of things, but we tried to capture that in the call to action that and and we even discussed it a bit on this call. Volunteering inside companies is not new. It's decades on decades of companies uh, allowing volunteering and using volunteering in all different kinds of ways. So that makes it even harder sometimes to change. So I would just really encourage everyone to look at the insights and say, this is the one thing I'm going to change, or this is the one thing I'm going to do differently because of what I've learned. Um, and then I think we'll head in the direction of that virtuous cycle that Lalita just described. That's fantastic. So I want to thank all of you. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's a great piece of research. I think the combined years of experience on this conversation has just been extraordinary. So I I have changed the end of my podcast. I used to say to people, what is your purpose? But here's how I do it now. I say, what is the power of your purpose? So thank you, Matthew. Thank Lalita. Thank you, Carmen. Fabulous research. I want all our listeners, please, please go online, go to ccp.org, you know, uh, download it, read it, mark it up, which is what I always do, and then learn and try something new. Because if we don't take advantage of the worldwide pandemic and all of the tragedies and turn it into something that's powerful and positive, then shame on us. But I know that all the people in the social impact world will truly do something even more extraordinary. So what is the power of your purpose? Thank you all and have a great day. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Amazing.